Bruce and Dottie are my in-laws, as, as his prayer indicated. We, we are celebrating this week. My, my wife gave birth to our third child, so we have number three, Kara. Kara Christina is at home now, so yeah, so that's where my wife is uh, this morning, and so we're, we're excited about that. Um, you know, not too sleepy yet, all things considered, so it's good. My wife is, I'm sure. Um, but... All right, so this morning we're continuing in Mark. We're going to do Mark chapter 8. We're going to do 1 through 30. And um, Jeff wants us to hold off on 31 through 38 because that kind of gets into a different section, like into a whole other entry point to, to Mark. So we're going to do 1 through 30 this morning. And I think we can see some connections as to this passage as a whole. Um, sometimes I, I see this, you know, Jeff talks about how that uh, the chiastic structure a lot of times there's some things at the beginning and things at the end. The thing in the middle helps you under things, understand the things at the beginning and things at the end. Now, I think you, you can see that somewhat uh, today uh, in this passage. So, uh, this chunk. So let's start and just read uh, Mark 1, uh, no, excuse me, Mark 8, 1 through 10. Um, so I'll, I'll read this for us here. I'm reading out the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, so that's... It sounds different than what you have. That's what I got. Mark 8, verse 1. In those days when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, How can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute. And they distributed them to the crowd. They had also a few small fish, and after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. And they ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanthua. All right, what, what stands out to you in this passage here? It's first three days. Three days? 4,000 people. 4,000. Well, yeah. Three, I mean, they didn't have any food. How much food did they bring, and how did that last? And I mean, they they were really, obviously, enthusiastic. 4,000 people show up in the desert. I mean, they ran out of food? I, I don't know. They just... Yeah. They have been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. The commitment to yeah. stay there for three days with nothing to eat. Right. Kind of Maybe they had ran out. <laughs> we don't want to stay in a cold room when past the lunch hour, you know. Right. Did you say it was just bread or was there any fish in there? Um, he, he says, how many loaves do you have? And he has seven. So he orders them down. And uh, he, he said, in verse seven, he said, they also had a few small fish. Okay. So they're not numbered. Just He blessed them and he ordered them, these two should be distributed. And then... They were all filled, and they took up seven baskets left over. Because in, in the other 
uh -huh. feeding of the 5,000. You know, they do talk about the basketfuls of bread. Uh -huh. I think they said about fish, too. Yeah, yeah. There's I wonder, just, yeah. I wonder if Mark's trying to stress the idea of the bread of life mm -hmm. more than he's trying to just tell you what the menu was. Well, the, the bread is going to be a focus then, later on because he talks about the yeast of the Pharisees coming up and talking about, they're like, they're going to think back to this and be like, is he talking about the bread that we just did? And honestly, that section we're going to get to is just kind of kind of confusing uh, for us. Like, we can come up with theories about it, but there's a lot of like, we're not exactly sure what he's going on about there, but there's some good ideas. But... What else about this passage sticks out to you from 1 through 10? Numbers. Yeah. Made for three days. Three days. You know what that represents. Okay, yeah. The seven days, seven, uh, we recognize that perfection, what that means. Now, leftovers, mm -hmm. seven, are we, are we, are, are, is, do we assume this is a uh, Jewish audience or a Gentile audience? Uh, well, you know, Jeff said earlier that he said maybe this is a Gentile audience, you know, and so some people think that. But, but the, but the 5,000 was the 12. Right. Mm -hmm. That's right. So perhaps this is a Gentile audience. And he's in a, he's in a region, you know, earlier in verse 31 of the previous chapter, Talks about then he entered the region of Tyre and went by the way of Sidon. So he's up, you know, north of Galilee. Um, so that's been speculated. It doesn't. It really doesn't say what the audience is in this passage. So like we did, we assume that it is, uh, but could or could not. Be. But yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I like just the verse 1. In those days when there again was a great crowd without anything to eat. Okay, He's saying like, again, there's a great crowd without anything to eat. And like, you know, this is just... He, I remember I told you before 5,000 people this happened. And he's saying, again, there's a, here's another big crowd with him. And so, he, so I think that's going to play into the way I'm, I'm reading the rest of it too. So it's like, he does this miracle. Same thing again. But then... What are the disciples' response to them? I love their response because I feel like it's exactly what I do in faith. Right. I don't have faith in the beginning. You know, right. they said, where, where do you expect us to get that food? Right. You know, we the, always tend to go there first. It's the same response as they have the first time, you know. It's like, okay, so he, Jesus says, uh, you know, uh, his disciples replied in verse 4, how can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? And he said, "How many loaves do you have?" You know, so there's. How can how can we do that? You know, how can we? He says. He oh also too, in verse two it says, "I have compassion for the crowd." He looks down with this compassion. Um, he's saying that he's saying, "I have compassion for this crowd because it's been with me three days." expressing that, what's he expressing? Does he have compassion for these people? Would he obviously does he have compassion for those people that after he's on the cross for three days they've lost all hope. Mm -hmm. Just like he's, he's, yeah. is, he, is he foretelling something? Maybe so. Maybe so. 
I mean, that I, it's obviously you know he's written afterwards and he's he's chosen these numbers for for uh, some reason, uh, whether it was actually three days or if it was symbolic of his resurrection. I, I don't know, but that's well, I mean, he yeah. could be foretelling, right? These people just like and so I go I, I go up <coughs> the next year. That's cool. Yeah, that's good. No, Andy, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to be, it doesn't matter how many miracles it does, you never have this replayed. It doesn't look backwards, which is, hey, Jesus, time to do another one of those uh, feeding of everybody. Mm-hmm. You never have anybody ever, even after seeing this done before and other miracles being done, they, they still do not have the thankful response. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, it's always the panic. <laughs> I think I think that's the theme that through this chapter is getting is like um, is like we still haven't gotten it yet, and, you know. Um, so let's let's go ahead and from here on let's read the whole next part and then we're gonna come back and talk about it in sections. So maybe, maybe we'll see that um, coming through. So starting verse eleven and we're gonna go all the way to verse thirty. Okay, then we're gonna come back and talk about a few little chunks between. So the, the next thing is some Pharisees came and they began arguing with him and asking him for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and getting into the boat, he went across to the other side. And now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread and they only had one loaf with them in the, in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And they said to one another, Is this because we have no bread? And becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketful of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many basketful of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, Seven. And then he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And then they came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently and his eyes or his sight was restored and everything and he saw everything clearly then he sent him away to his home saying do not even go into the village then Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi and on the way he asked his disciples who do people say that I am 
And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. And then he goes on and he, he begins teaching some more uh, that we'll get into the next time. It's about um, foretelling of his death and his resurrection again. So, if if Mark is writing this and he's he's putting these stories back to back to back, what is he? You know, maybe what are some reasons he did these? Put these. So he has the feeding of the four thousand. Then the Pharisees come to him and demand a sign. And then he's on a boat again, and they're having a conversation about the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And then he cures a blind man in Bethsaida. He cures him kind of weird in that he it takes like it's a two-phase thing, two-phase healing. And then he takes him takes the, his men up to Caesarea Philippi, and he asks them this really important passage, a point, you know, who do you say that I am? And so... Uh, so let's let's see. So this this part, the Pharisees demand for a sign. Um, I'm gonna read this three verses here. And we'll we'll talk about this part. So the the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, asking for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit, and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. And getting into the boat again, he went across to the other side. What stands out to you from this, these three verses right here? Um, from our vantage point, looking back at it, it's just the sheer stupidity of it. He just did a feed of 4,000 people. Exactly. Totally satisfied. And now you're coming to debate that we need something, <coughs> something to really prove to us beyond any shadow of a doubt that you respect all my things. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that seems to be the obvious. Yeah, I mean, he's he's given Pharisees signs, you know, over and over and over, and he sighs deeply. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like the I'm so taxed by this question. You know, I'm so over this. What else? There, there seems that it seems as though. In order to believe in his legitimacy, they need to see miracles. Mm-hmm. And somewhere he said, not here, that at least believe in me on the basis of the miracles themselves. Mm-hmm. Who else does this? Right. And yet I wonder if that's their, they don't ask him that in order to believe in right. him. Because he says you won't, you're looking for a sign, you won't see it. But part of it is that their eyes don't see. Right. Yes, that's good because there is this connection to this passage coming up in just a minute with the healing of a blind man. Um, what else? Anything else? You know, miracles are signs. To right. Start. Right. It's interesting that he did. Another four thousand out of compassion, mm. but that's not what the Pharisees are asking for. Mm. They're not asking for compassion, and they're not asking for generosity. Mm. They're asking for something else right. that 
will never be satisfied. Um, I'm kind of thinking right now about, you know, just to put it practically, it's like, it's always nice when God shows up and He shows compassion and generosity in our lives. That's so overwhelming, you don't know how you could have made it without all of the ways He blessed you. And then when He does it again in your life, it is surprising because it's like, you know, not everybody gets that second overwhelming blessing in their life, right? Where they really needed it and you showed up again. Right. And, you know, it's not a matter of faith, it's a matter of looking around and seeing, you know, not everybody gets gets that generosity all the time, let alone once in their life, twice. Surely there's not a third time, and I'm not going to push my luck and think that will show up. But I think that that's kind of playing, at least into my mindset right now, about God having compassion and generosity on when He shows up and how He shows it and mm. how overwhelming it can be. And do you dare think that it could happen Right. You know, well, then, then the Pharisee show up and just put up something in the spokes to make it just the killjoy. Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't know, I'm just thinking out loud right now. Yeah, so I just right. hear you saying, like, questioning, like, maybe it shows their motivations for asking for this sign. Is, to you, it shows something that's not, right. not <laughs> aligned with God's generosity. Well, you know, because, and I'm not saying this just because I want people... But I was in the flood, mm -hmm. and God was incredibly generous. And now I'm just getting over my cancer, and God was even more generous. Mm -hmm. Not everybody gets that. Right. Not everybody dares to get that. Not everybody dares to ask. It was all I could do to say, help me get through today on right. any of those. And yet, to me, it's not quite miracles, but it was generous and compassionate, and it was filled with, I was never lacking. Yeah. Um, but we don't always get that. Right. So I just throw that out to say, I don't know if I'd have faith that if something else were to happen, that uh, I would expect him to show up with as much generosity right. and compassion. And if he does, it's like, I still don't know if I'd have faith again to ask <laughs> right. because because you don't see it in abundance. But maybe it has to do with your eyesight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, piggybacking on that. I mean, why are we surprised? Mm -hmm. I'll take it to a, take it to a deep, deeper, deeper, deeper level. We're exposed to God's mercies and miracles. Every the breath that you take, in, mm -hmm. a, that is a miracle. Mm -hmm. Whether we whether we believe it or not. Sometimes we have it's kind of like that blind guy. You know, I, 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 I see things a little bit, uh -huh. but they're not clear. Right. Uh, and sometimes we're like that. You know, maybe we recover from cancer or, 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 or the miracle of breath or the miracle of the birth of a child or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Ourselves, but we didn't see the miracle, and it happened to us, and we didn't even 
And I, one of the move that you made of just like taking this and applying it to your life, I think it's what we all aspire to do when we come to the Scripture, is we, we read the Scripture and we try to learn about what it is saying in their time and place. But then we try to say, well, how does that connect to my life? Like, what do I do with that? What do I do with that tomorrow or this afternoon, you know, in my faith? And so, um, thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, so thank you for helping us get there, you know. Um, so yeah, so let's, let's look at this next little part and uh, see if there's anything I want to say about this next part. Then I, I really want to look at the, uh, I don't have much to say about this next part, but I want to look at the, the blind man being healed part two. So this, the next one is 14 through 20, uh, 21, uh, about the yeast of the Pharisee too. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And they said to one another, It is because, it is because we have no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember? Uh, when I when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, seven. And they said to them, do you not yet understand? How does this apply to in this situation? And then what are things you can learn from it as well? talking about feeding the 4,000, they're, they're just facts that he's presenting. There's no emotion or reaction from the disciples or the crowd. So then they get in the boat and they think, 
oh, we had all that fish and we had all that bread we didn't think to bring it. Oh, maybe Jesus could give us more, but, you know, don't want to ask. I think they were focused and distracted on the physical aspect of what was going on and not the spiritual implication of who Jesus was. Mm. They, I think that's what he's saying. You guys missed the boat. Mm. You know, you're not recognizing who I am. Right. It's, not, it's about this physical stuff. Mm. I don't know. Anything else? I think when you side view in verse 12, I feel that side. Mm. And I think that was in a conversation with the Pharisees. And so then he leaves and gets with those closest to him. And I think he kind yeah, of it's feels a, it. He's sighing again. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, and the Pharisees know, and then my disciples. You think so much of it is you're you love and they, they are disappointed with you. Mm. You know, it, it's just, and, and I, yeah, they didn't get it. And yeah. he was, it's a deep sigh again. <laughs> right. You know? What else? I, when I thought of the yeast, I thought of more rather mm. than less, because mm. uh, yeast causes more. Right. And so um, the leaders of of the Jews, religious leaders, pile a lot of things on to Jewish believers mm. that were in addition to, say, what yeah. they got from the Torah. Right. Or, and so Jesus, in I guess 23rd chapter of Matthew, sort of went off mm -hmm. by saying that they had <clears throat> failed to observe the weightier matters right. by, you know, these things that had been added, I suppose, as guardrails mm -hmm. uh, by Jewish religious leaders. And so they had gotten into less important things mm -hmm. and overlooked the most important things and yeah. so that's what I thought about yeast yeah there's there's something here in this be, be on guard of the yeast of the Pharisees or, or and the yeast of of Herod yeah well I think the uh, yeast the Pharisees are the good guys mm -hmm. <coughs> they're the religious people right that, uh, so maybe like a little comparison to us today, we got it all together, right? Religious people, people of us that think we got it together, got it figured out. And uh, so that yeast kind of say, that speaks to us. But when he gets talking about bread, now are we talking about bread now? Or are we talking about bread? The, the things that <laughs> sustain you, right? Uh, you know, it, you know, it's, He's saying, you know, you guys are looking for signs. You talk about bread. I'm so disappointed in you guys. I'm so disappointed that we blessed you and have given you the keys to the kingdom. And all you're concerned about is giving us the really bread that will sustain us the spirit. This one is is <laughs> tough, and I think it's good to look at it as a whole because I think it works better than just picking them out one at a time. 
I think if you look at them one at a time, it's like, that's, I don't, I'm not sure what's completely going on here, but I think you, it really helps to look at this whole chapter. Yeah, I think, I can't wait to see what you, what, this miracle of the eyesight, yeah. this guy is actually, because at this point, regardless of how you take this discussion on the boat, right? you know, you understand yeast is being used historically to refer to, there's some simple way yes. of doing things that's right. going on with the Pharisees. And you're in danger of it. Mm -hmm. And the conversation you just had was supposed to help them get out of it. Mm -hmm. Twelve, you got seven, you got. Right. So they still don't get it. And then we do have at the end of this thing, Jesus, Peter says, "You are." Yeah. And then we have a, in the next section, which right. we're not going to, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, right, my Father. So there's somewhere between right here where we yeah. are in these events and what's about to be there, and then we have this. This, this weird story right here that's two-part two healing. Yeah. So like, let's look at this. 8.22. So they, they came to Bethsaida, and some people <laughs> brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but... They look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, uh, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he went away to his home, saying, Don't even go into the village. All right. Uh, first thing that's weird about this is like, to me, just as a modern person, he spits on his eyes. <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? So I read this in a, in a commentary that I thought was helpful for that. It said healing with saliva. It says modern readers find it odd that Jesus uses saliva in healing the blind man. Yes, I do. But Mark's audience would not. It says the first century author Plenty the Elder wrote of the medicinal value of saliva as an eye salve in his natural history. And saliva was sometimes used for miraculous healings in his histories. It says the Roman historian Tacitus described an incident where a blind man is healed by the saliva of the emperor Vespasian, who reigned around uh, 69 through 79. Okay, so there's a story of a, of a Roman emperor who healed someone with uh, his saliva. Okay, and apparently Jesus chose to use this culturally recognized method of miraculous healing. Okay, so. This wasn't the only he mixed mud and right. dirt with that on the guy. Right. Told him then told him to go wash exactly. in the pool. Yeah. So it wasn't just a saliva thing. He had also go to the pool yeah. and wash his eyes. Yeah. But he had to believe that yeah. to do that. Right. And that had to go and finish the finish, finish the path. Yeah. That's right. To believe it. So um so, I mean, this, the only thing I want to point out here, and I want to hear what, what y'all have to say too, is so uh, he, a couple things. He takes the blind man out of the village. Okay? He intentionally takes him away from the village to do this miracle. Okay? Uh, we'll come back to that. They put saliva on him, and the, he, he says, What can you, he lays his hands on him, can you see anything? He says, I see people, but I look like trees walking. 
That's an interesting description. I don't know what's there. I don't know why. But I mean, it's blurry. I see things, but it's not clear. And then he, he laid his hands on him again, and he looked intently, and his eyesight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And so I, I think there's this, like, just a, it just shows you progression of, like, healing, of, like, they, his disciples and people in this day, they do not see clearly yet, you know? I think Mark's saying, look, like, there's, they're showing, like, they didn't have a lot of faith of this 4,000, because the Pharisees don't have faith either, because, you know, and then the, the, but in the end of this chapter, they do. There's this, there's this progression towards having faith and seeing clearly. And this, and later on here, so Jesus went out with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, which is way out. <laughs> it could be parallel to this, like, why he took this man out of this village, perhaps. I don't, you know, like he, it's very far removed from where they were. He said, and he, when he on his way, he said, who do people say that I am? And he, they answered him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others still say one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him, verse 30. But then also for this blind guy, it, this parallel, it said, then he sent him away this, to his home saying, don't even go into the village. So somehow there's this still this messianic secret here, and this is verse 30 is one of the biggest places uh, that hinges on you know on this messianic secret in Mark. And there, like I said, we, we don't know exactly why the messianic secret is there. The, the couple thoughts are well, he doesn't want to raise this uh, Messiah vision of of who he is because he's not the the traditional Messiah who's what they're looking for, you know, and um, he's going to take over militarily and also maybe it's because he doesn't want to uh, you know have have that the time frame is not right yet but for whatever it is we see like is that it's cool that you see in this passage at least you see someone these pictures of people of the disciples just not getting it and he just heals someone just halfway and then he heals them completely and then the disciples get it right after they say you are the messiah and maybe they still don't see, understand completely yet either, right? That they know what that fully entails, and then so that hinges on that, like we're going he's gonna go on, and Jeff's gonna talk about that next week. What does that fully entail? This claim that you are the Messiah. So I guess we're out of time. Um, does anyone have anything else that you want to say? Just to find that good news. Yeah, that's right. I mean, sometimes it takes two or three, four, five tries. Yeah. And the prayer in Ephesians is. I pray that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Mm. The spirit of revelation making the connection with God's the dots in my life about what God is yeah. It's kind of like we're in the middle of this story. Yeah. And yeah, just so don't don't let it stay here as a story. Let it let us see how we can be encouraged by in our own lives why it's it's okay if we have trouble seeing. That God will continue to work on working on us and helping us see more, more and more clearly each time. I think I'm in the seventh stage. <laughs> <laughs> right.